Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. You've been going through a series called Encounters with Jesus. And I want to carry on that theme. And I want to talk about someone who became a wounded healer. And I want to talk about how we can often be wounded healers. And uh, I want to kind of almost turn something on its head that um, often we think of people who are together, people who are doing well, people who are strong, people, you know what I mean, who, uh, who kind of feel like they've got everything together. And I want to show how Paul especially kind of turned it on his head and almost made, was almost proud of his wounds, almost proud of the suffering and the stuff he went through. And so uh, I'm going to look at that from the Gospels uh, this morning. I don't know um, if you're like me, but when I think of people who are wounded, my first thought goes to Ukraine and uh, war zones. And uh, you just have pictures of people um, in battles there. Or as there's been uh, a number of attacks um, in America, you know, gun attacks that have killed and wounded many people. That's the kind of uh, wound, when I think of wounded, that's how I think. But actually, wounded is much more broader than that. I remember as a, a kid, I used to get bullied uh, regularly, and especially in my early teens, and um, especially one guy, big, big guy, just in my mind, I can just visualize him, and often would be looking over my shoulder especially going home when you're kind of not protected by the school or, or your home environment, just is that person with his you know, guys there. And it does leave you, even now, even when I'm thinking about it, 66 years old, I'm still sometimes, I mean, it's not that I would, it's only when I kind of mention it, it kind of flashes back. and you, So you can have some mental kind of scars like that. About six years ago, I was in my house and uh, literally walked up. It was just before Christmas. I, I walked to our, we have a kind of kitchen, dining room, big open plan uh, area, and I went to get a cup of coffee. And as I went to get the coffee, I just burst into tears. Literally cried. If I do now, it's just because I'm living the moment. And... Um, I was just kind of out the blue. Do you know, you're kind of, everything seems normal. And then suddenly you're just, I was just sobbing and, and shaking. And, and that was the start of six to nine months of a breakdown. That I was off, off work. Uh, I remember Tim, who now leads the church, wondering if I would ever get back. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like I... I mean, I, I used to call myself a basket case in those terms, which my wife tells me never to do, but it's, it's what I said and it's what I felt like. And, um, 
you kind of think that, you know, in your, in your past, I've run a movement when, you know, I started helping run a movement when we were 30 churches, we're now in 70 nations, um, thousands of churches, and uh, planted 14 churches and congregations in Manchester. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I wasn't all my life prone <laughs> to breaking down with tears. But fundamentally, as the doctor said to me when I went in, you know, it's like 40 years of attrition. Adopted three kids, and uh, uh, that takes its toll, still takes its toll. Great experiences. But so basically, for me, it was like numbers of years of attrition, some disappointment good things suddenly came to a head and I um, just basically uh, couldn't do anything. I mean, literally couldn't do anything. I remember we, our middle boy was getting married in Las Vegas. We lived in America for a couple of years and he was quite keen to get married back in. So a few months into it, we flew out to Las Vegas and we hired a car. We were going to go around California. I was getting a little better got in the car and the sat nav wouldn't work literally I burst into tears I, I just it, I just we, all we need to do is go in and get another sat nav you know it was like it was, it was it was nothing but it was everything just couldn't cope in the end my wife had to drive 1800 miles all around California because I just said um I just I just can't do it you know, it's interesting about mental health and about breakdown and stuff like that. There is much more talked about. It's much more in the, in the, in the, in the public domain. The Barna Group, which is a leading research group in America, basically did some research on the traumas that Christians have and what were the top ones in their research in, in America. And the first one wouldn't surprise you, which was the death of a loved one. That actually, that was one of the leading causes of trauma. The next one probably might uh, surprise you. It was actually the betrayal of someone that you trusted. That actually, that was one of the main things. And now you can think of it because in church community, in a sense, there is, you want a high level of trust. You know what I mean? It's part of what you feel. So actually, in that sort of environment, to actually feel like you've been betrayed, let down, you can, I guess, imagine that in that environment, it could be a high thing. And the next were different types of abuse, domestic and stuff like that. But what is certain is that whatever we've been through, and I just mentioned even you know, being bullied as a teenager, it actually affects us through life. That actually we do carry the wounds in some form or other through um, our life. And uh, it sometimes makes us respond in out of ordinary ways, out of character ways. And uh, you find that with people as well. Sometimes people will get very angry with you and you think, where is that? come from it's not in their normal thing and why is it all aimed at me you know I don't know if you've had interactions with people and you've thought that 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 was unprovoked and somehow 
uh, we know that some things that have happened to us sometimes just make us react in, in different ways. It also, as a pastor, sometimes helps me understand how people react when I know their past. Do you understand? So sometimes when you know the backstory, you get a little bit more understanding of, okay, I can understand where this is coming from. That doesn't dishonor, that doesn't mean that bad behavior gets just overlooked and bad attitudes and stuff, but it does give you a glimmer into where it comes from. And for me personally, it gives me more grace <laughs> and, and to actually think, okay, let's see if we can, we can help this. I want to talk about someone in the Bible who basically uh, was traumatized. And uh, she was a wealthy lady and uh, lived in a little village by the uh, Sea of Galilee. And uh, although she seemed to be a person of means, and if that was the case, probably a bit my, my life, probably for a lot of her life, had it together. Do you know? It was like someone who actually seemed to be okay, but actually carried major, major trauma. And we're going to read about how she came into contact with Jesus from Luke chapter 1 in the first few verses. It said this, Soon after Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, and he took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and the diseases. And among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons, Joanna, the son of Chusa, Herod's businessman, and just Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Morris Casey, who is commenting on this, and he wrote a book called Jesus of Nazareth surmises that Mary must have suffered from severe emotional or psychological trauma. He goes on to say, wealth did not spare her from the evil that assailed and attacked her every hour of every day, because seven is a mystic number suggesting completeness, implying that when the evil spirits dominated Mary, the suffering was extremely severe. So here we have a lady that we all know as Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons. For 2,000 years, she has been known as Mary, the demonized one. She's been preached on like I'm doing now. All through the New Testament, she would have been known because it was written down and talked about of this lady and her background. It was like what assailed her and what she was cured of still went with her. Interesting, isn't it? And um, I want to just look at her and how uh, her life was changed and also look at uh, how she became a wounded healer, how what had happened to her was flipped on its head and uh, how God used her. It's interesting that it doesn't tell us in the narrative here how these demons affected her. Because uh, on other places, we hear of a boy 
who was demonized and was thrown in the fire. When the seizures came, <laughs> basically they so controlled him that he was out of control and uh, would throw himself into awful situ- situations. We hear of another guy who, when the demons called the legion, there were so many of them, got hold of him, he was so, became so strong and so hard to control that nobody, not even chains, could hold him. And actually, when the demons went, they actually went into thousands of pigs. So we know that when we talk about Mary being demonized, we know there would have been some manifestations, something out there, but just doesn't tell us what it is about. But we do know it must have been traumatic. But effectively, we also see here that as she met Jesus and Jesus cured her, delivered her, made her whole, she dramatically became a follower of Jesus. That she gave her all that she had and basically spent the rest of her time while Jesus was alive and dying and rising again, being as close to him as possible. It was, uh, it's great here when Mark adds about to the narrative here that uh, she became a follower of Jesus and cared for him. It's a lovely little uh, bit there that fundamentally Jesus needed people who cared for him. That his humanity meant that actually his needs were like our needs. And that Mary, through her wealth as a background, because then she was, had stuff to be able to offer, food and, uh, and finance, but also just care and love, became part of his disciples, became part of his followers, and actually spent time giving back to Jesus, her saviour, her lord, her deliverer. And... Um, We see that not only did she help him as he travelled around Galilee and around Israel, but also on those last moments of his life, she was incredibly close to him. So it says this, that um, it's in in Matthew 27.57. It says this, that as Jesus was on the cross, basically, and the disciples, the apostles, mainly had run away, (laughs) that her and a few other ladies literally were right there, close to the cross, watching it all happen. And it says this, verse 55, and many women who came from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So this incredible lady somehow managed not only to become a a disciple, but fundamentally there all the way through. And then verse 57 of Matthew goes on to say this, and as even approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. And Joseph took the body 
and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth. He placed it in his own tomb, which had been carved out of rock, and he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. And Mary, both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb watching. So this lady who Jesus had delivered, who followed Jesus, literally not only watched the fact that Jesus was taken down from the cross, but followed the guy to where they were going to bury him in the tomb and literally observed every burial. She's a really brave lady, totally devoted, totally committed to being there even when all the guys had fled and gone away. And then we see how she became a wounded healer. And this is really where I want to to get to because, in a sense, all this was kind of her following her saviour. But we see on the resurrection, something remarkable happened. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 28, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb. You realise Mary Magdalene is now mentioned about 12 times in the Gospels. That is more than virtually every other apostle. So she's one of the most written about people in the Gospels. And so here she is. Again, and suddenly there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they, they, they saw him and fell faint dead. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is ridden from the dead. Just as he said this, would happen. Come see where his body was lying. Now go quickly and tell his disciples, Jesus has risen and he's going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there. Remember that I told you. Mary Magdalene, the first person to know that Jesus had raised from the dead. And the first person to be told to go and say the good news that Jesus has risen. And actually, Mark says this, a little aside, he said, also make sure that you tell Peter. (laughs) See, Peter had denied Jesus. Peter was probably the last person who thought that Jesus would forgive him. He was, again, a traumatised person, a person that fundamentally felt that he had totally, totally blown it. And here's Mary. (laughs) Go and tell the disciples, I have risen. Not only did the angels, but Jesus met her and said the same thing as well. And also, make sure you tell Peter. (laughs) Make sure you do that, because he probably will be the last person who thinks that I'm for him, for all I have done. Here's the demonised one becoming the first one 
to say the good news, to tell the disciples that Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and was buried, is now alive. What, what, what a remarkable story. She's still known as the demonized one. She's still written about as the one who was traumatized with demons. And now she's the one with the good news. The good news to some disciples who had fled. Some disciples who had just blown it. Some disciples who, for fear, couldn't hack it. The demonized one. The one who would be known for 2,000 years (laughs) and for the rest of fraternity, probably, is now the healer, the good news bringer, the one that Jesus entrusted with, go and tell them (laughs) and instruct them, (laughs) go to Galilee where I'm going to meet them. And I honestly believe this, that there's something special about being a wounded healer. There's something special about knowing that Jesus has taken you, warts and all, crying and all, breakdown and all, bullied and all, weak and all, to become the newsbringer, the healer, the testimony giver. What a testimony for the rest of her life. Which is why it's written down here. And uh, I feel this, that sometimes, like when I was bullied uh, on the way home from school. Interesting, when I became a Christian at 16, um, something happened to me. I, I got confidence. I, 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 lots of things happened, but I got confidence. I remember when I was 19, working and helping at a local youth centre, Uh, And they put me on the door, like the bouncer. And I suddenly thought, man alive, some of these people who were bullying me are now going to be possibly here. And I'm now the bouncer at the youth centre on the door. But actually, I felt confident. You know, something had happened internally. Didn't take away the scars, it didn't take away the thing, but something of the... Mercy and the grace of God. And the confidence. I'm a child of God. I've changed. God has done something. And you can imagine for Mary, exactly the same thing. But you see, our Messiah himself is a wounded healer. That's the glory of it. That Actually, we're in good company. That's why Paul could say, you know, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ. (laughs) And so we know this, that Jesus, the Son of God, had massive trauma, massive wounds. We know this, that one of his best friends betrayed him with a kiss. He knew what betrayal was all about from someone he'd worked with, shared with, broke bread with, done so many things with when he was out. He received false accusations. He was beaten. 
He received cruel mocking. He was publicly shamed, hanging naked on a cross. Finally, they speared him to make sure that he was dead. You know, it says that, um, you know, by his wounds, we are healed. It's interesting that when Mary went to tell the disciples about the risen saviour, about what Jesus said. There was one person who wasn't there. His name was Thomas. And he basically had the audacity, but basically it's probably what I would have said as well, because I understand where he was coming from. You know, if I don't see the nails in his hand and be able to put my hand in the spear and uh, place my hand into the wounds to the side, I am never going to believe. Eight days later, Jesus finds himself face to face with Thomas. It says this, he said to Thomas, come here, put your finger here and put your hand here. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Isn't that the ultimate wounded healer? The ultimate, here are my wounds. They're for your healing. They're for your faith. He used his wounds to bring faith to doubting Thomas as we know him as. That's the glory of letting our wounds be good news. Letting our trauma be used for the kingdom of God. Letting my breakdown not be something that damns me for the rest of my life and makes me feel inadequate because I'm supposed to be running a movement of churches, but actually a blessing. Actually, how many people I have blessed with that story I was in a meeting of leaders, about 150 leaders a while ago, and I just mentioned about that breakdown and mentioned about how God can turn it on its head. And I just felt God say, just now pray for some people that actually they can boast in their weakness. They can boast in what God has done. I am not joking. The place was packed of people coming forward. I had people email me, just how God was doing something that they saw as negative in their lives. Suddenly, you know, as Jesus, put your hands here. Thomas, now believe. (laughs) Faith and belief and trust came because Jesus, the wounded healer, (laughs) exposed his wounds for the blessing and the help of someone else. You know, we're in a society that's traumatised. Honestly, uh, we've got teenagers and 20s who fundamentally, their biggest knowledge at the moment has been the COVID. It's been now wars. It's been cost of living. There's, there's so much now that is affecting people. There is so much around where 
the need to be wounded healers, the need to get alongside people, the need to be able to share the good news that our Savior was a wounded healer and we are wounded healers, that God delivers us, that God uses what we've been through for his glory and his goodness. There's never been a time in our nation for ages that actually being able to identify with the wounds of the nation and the trauma of people and bring good news. And part of the good news is our story. (laughs) Part of the good news is what God has done for us. And uh, it says this in Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one whose men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our affirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. You know what? We are in good company (laughs) when we become wounded healers. When we allow what God has done in our lives to be a blessing for others. And Paul could say this as I I, I finish with this. He said this in, uh, in Corinthians. Therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power will rest upon me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So my encouragement this morning is God can use all that's happened to you for his glory and for the salvation and the healing of people around you. And I think my kind of encouragement is this. Paul said he was proud (laughs) of his weaknesses. And he said this to a Corinthian church that boasted of eloquence, of kind of wealth, of strength, of almost being together. That was the whole point of the Corinthians. And why they didn't like him is because he couldn't talk very well. He looked disfigured. (laughs) He, He looked weak. And they basically were saying... We don't want you, Paul. We want Apollos and we want Cephas. We want those who are eloquent and those who look good and those fundamentally, you know, the, you know they, they look the part. That was the whole point of Paul talking to the Corinthian church and writing to them because fundamentally they were rubbishing him. And instead of trying to play the game, <laughs> he went completely opposite. He said... I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go somewhere completely different. I'm not going to boast in my eloquence because it's not that good and I'm not going to boast in my looks because it's not that good and I'm not going to boast in my strength because that's not any good. I'm going to boast in the things that you despise. (laughs) That I'm weak and not good. I'm going to boast in all that 
as suffering and trauma that has happened to me because in that, I know God is going to give me strength. Isn't that great? I think more of us can identify with that than can identify with people who seem to have it all together all their lives. May the grace of God be with you. May the love of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. And may the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be richly poured out on you. Let's stand.